Well, we're going to take a look at God's Word. I asked you earlier to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 21, and that's the passage that we're going to look at here. I titled the message, Peer Pressure. And so the PowerPoint for the message will come up here right away. Uh, it's called Peer Pressure. It's not easy to resist the pressure of our peers. It's not easy. Or to go against the cultural structures of the community in which you live. It's not easy to do that. But the gospel calls us to do that. Peer pressure is very, very powerful. And we might think that only teens are involved in peer pressure. But that's not true. All of us are involved or can be influenced, we would say, by peer pressure. Adults just as easily controlled and manipulated by peer pressure as youth. An interesting experiment that has been done and it's been repeated a number of times. So, so it's just this, this experiment is one that, that keeps showing up again and again and again. You'd think that somehow something would change in reference to the results of this, but it never does. It, it's, it's carried out with all ages of individuals, and it's designated to show the aspect of group pressure or peer pressure. And, and how it works is, is pretty simple. One study works like this. Uh, groups of 10 people, all basically the same age. Nine of the 10 are told that they are to vote for the second longest line as being the longest line. And one person isn't given any instructions. So then they're ushered into a room. Ten people ushered into a room. Nine are given kind of this secret instructions off to the side. The teacher's not really even aware of it. Of course, they are in a way. And so the teacher at the front of the classroom has three cards with different length lines, a long one and a short one. And they go from card to card, and they ask on the first card, which is the longest line, one or two? And the nine choose the shortest line as the longest line. And they'll say, oh, number two, or, or if it's number one, they'll choose the shortest as the longest. And the teacher will say again, again, I want you to choose the longest line. And they'll choose the, sh the shorter line. And, and the 10th person who doesn't have any instructions, by the time they get to the second or the third card illustration, they're looking around and now they're voting with everyone else even though they know better. Peer pressure. And they could do this experiment again and again and again in different ages, with different, in different settings, and it just always comes out the same. Paul in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Galatians 2, 11 to 21, gives the churches in Galatia an example of what peer pressure linked to culture can cause. And that it can happen to the best of us, to the very best of us. Paul tells of a moment of crisis in Peter's life and in his. A crisis occurs because of peer pressure in the early church, in the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is the first Gentile church. And of course, we know that Paul is writing this to the churches in Galatia because he wants them to understand 
how peer pressure works because they are giving in to peer pressure. And it's not good. So Peter, the disciple of Jesus, was caught in the intersection of, we could say, peers and Jewish culture and grace and the church. He's caught in that intersection. The two are colliding. And he has to make a decision. I'm going to give you a definition for Gentile. Because sometimes we, you know, we read the Bible or we hear and we're not sure. A Gentile is a non-Jew. So I mentioned the church at Antioch was the first Gentile church that was planted because Antioch was a Gentile community, a non-Jewish community, non-Jewish city. The region of Galatia is a non-Jewish region. But the church started in Jerusalem, a Jewish area, of course. So we read, Oh, can we go back a slide? I hit the button too hard. There. So we read in Galatians 2, 11 to 13, okay? When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul is writing this. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, meaning from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. The church was in Jerusalem. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. Put it into that type of context. He says, it says he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, meaning the Jews. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, catch this, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas. Peer pressure. The power of peer pressure. Peter, in our scripture passage, is referred to by Cephas. Wow, that's interesting. Peter has a number of different names as we go through the New Testament. So he's Peter, which is Aramaic. There's Cephas, which is Greek. And there's Simon, which is Jewish. So Peter kind of has these different, different names, we could say, but they're all the same, same name, just to kind of straighten out something here. If you're wondering, I don't get it. Like, who is this Cephas? That's Peter. That's Peter. And, and Cephas is Greek, okay? For, for Peter rolled over there into the Greek. After all, remember that Antioch was a Greek church, so a non-Jewish church. And I know sometimes new Canadians come to Canada and, and they give you their name and their, and their name is, is a very simple Canadian name because you could never say their, their real name. It would be too difficult. So kind of think of that in, in this type of context. What we read about here is an example of leadership and greatness overcome by peer pressure. So, so this area of peer pressure does, doesn't affect, let's say, somebody who is just has no values or whatever. That's not true. That's not true. Peter comes to Antioch and there rubs shoulders with the Gentile church. But then a delegation comes from Jerusalem and they are Jews 
who are practicing the law of Moses, the dietary laws, yet they believe in Jesus. So their culture and faith in Christ has come together. Peter begins to separate himself from the Gentiles because Peter is a Jew and then he becomes afraid. That's what it says in our scripture passage. You notice, separate himself from the Gentiles, I have underlined for us, and he was afraid. Fear sometimes drives us into this area of peer pressure. We're afraid maybe we'll get bullied if we say no to something. We're afraid because maybe we'll lose some friends if we hold fast to something that's true. He's afraid. And soon other Jews join Peter because, of course, Peter's a leader. And remember that peer pressure in the lines. So the others are looking around and they think, well, Peter, I, I guess I got to move over to where Peter is. I'm a Jew. And so they joined. And finally, Barnabas himself joins in. And Paul, who is Paul? Paul enters the Christian faith. Uh, later on, we know, you know, Barnabas is there at the church at the beginning. Peter, of course, he's the leader in the church. Who's Barnabas? But Barnabas stands up and takes Peter to task. That's a hard thing to do. Inconsistencies in our daily walk can happen to the best of believers or Christians. Peter's caught in that. His culture, the Jewish culture, his friends, against or offset by non-believers that have come to know Christ. We're kind of in that same boat at times. Oh, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. But we've come from a culture to another culture, and you'll figure out what I'm saying as we move on. I'll just flesh it out a little bit. But we come from a secular culture. Before we accepted Christ, we were part of the secular culture around us. And believe it or not, it's, it's a religion. It is. It has values. It has gods. It's a religion. And we come from that secular culture. And we step into the body of Christ. Paul calls what Peter was doing hypocrisy. See again on the PowerPoint behind me, hypocrisy. He calls it hypocrisy. So here's a... Here's a great definition for hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when a believer plays the part of a non-believer. It's when a Christian acts the part of the non-Christian. Of course, I've already moved it into our day and age right here, into our time where we're living today. For Peter was acting as a Jew instead of acting as a Christian. But for us, this definition would hold we can affirm something to be true and yet intentionally live in a way that covers that up and makes it look like we don't believe it to be true. That's hypocrisy. It comes right out of the passage, this definition, in fact. Why do I say that? Look at verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. 
I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You see, all of a sudden, Peter was not acting out the truth of the gospel, but he was over here. And that happens to us at times. When we step out of this building, Peter was not acting in line with the revelation that he received years earlier from God. I don't know if you know, you remember this story in the Bible, but Peter was at the house of Simon the Tanner. He was living there for a while. And God brought a sheet down from the heavens. He was praying. It was lunchtime. And in that was all kinds of unclean animals. And God said to Peter, kill, eat. And Peter said, no, no, that's unclean. I don't do that. I'm a Jew. And then later, of course, he goes to Cornelius' house, who is a Jew, not a Jew, sorry, a Gentile, a Roman soldier. And, and he, Cornelius has accepted God, had accepted Christ already, and the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius. Out of that, of course, Peter says in Acts 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's a little after that that the Jerusalem church meets because they hear of Gentiles in the north in Antioch accepting Christ and they're not following the Jewish customs. And the Jerusalem council has a meeting and Peter's a key part of that meeting. And out of that meeting in Acts 15, this is what they write. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Remember, this would have gone to the church at Antioch. From blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. That's it. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the Jewish laws. You don't have to do any of that. Peter was a part of these things. And now, now at Antioch, because of these Jews, he's behaving in a completely different way. You see, the, the history that these Gentile believers had was secularism. Like you and I. The history that Peter, the church history, we could say that Peter had, and the Jews, of course, was the Jewish faith. Each one can bring in their past into Christianity. The Jews knew that they could not be justified by keeping the law because it was impossible to do. See, the law was never there to justify you. The law was there to help you to realize that you need, you need more. That the law, you just can't keep the law. And so the law led you to God. It led you to Christ. Paul writes then to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and he says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So he states it so clear. And of course, Peter knew this. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. 
that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. For the Jew, they had relied on the law to lead them to faith in God. Therefore, just believing in Jesus was not easy for them because the law had formed their culture. In a way, the law had formed who they were. It had created the Jewish nation. It had created the Jewish people is what the law did. Their identity was not so much in God, but their identity was in the law. And they must have felt that as they were embracing Christ, they were letting go of that identity. It's true. Today when we come to Christ, we too have to change our worldview. We have to change, we could say, our identity. Being a good person as defined by our culture does not lead to heaven. The Jewish law did not lead you to heaven. It led you to the realization of your sin. Being a good person as defined by our culture doesn't lead us to heaven. So being tolerant, non-racist, caring for a misfortunate, not being a bully, accepting of other people's worldviews and not hurting others, these are all good things we could say but they won't get you to heaven. And you know what? It seems that our culture is always changing, doesn't it? It seems that there's always change happening in our culture as to what is good or what is acceptable. I mean, I look across here, and, and some of you can't do this, but others of you can. Go back 50 years. And 50 years ago, what were the values of our culture? What were the things that you embraced that were right and good that today would not be acceptable? There are. There are a lot of those things, to be honest. And more as we're moving in this shift. If we shift to another country, we will see different values. China has different values than Canada. Russia has different values than Canada. We see that. Something happens when we become a Christian. So Paul writes, he says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't, mean that the, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker. You see, the Jews had to leave their culture behind. And so they move over to Christ. And it's almost like with the Gentiles right beside them. And then they tried to rebuild their culture. But then, of course, now they're really becoming lawbreakers, aren't they? 
In a way, this is kind of what's taking place. How, how would I compare this? What type of illustration could I give you? Well, you know, I could compare it to a person who leaves their country of origin. Many of us as Canadians, we, we haven't experienced that. Some of us have. We leave our country of origin and we move totally to a new country. And now we're, we could say, foreigners in that new country, but we want to become citizens in that new country. And so we become citizens. The intent is to become citizens in that new country. What I hear sometimes people say, I really like all the new Canadians. The different cultures bring a richness to Canada. But I don't understand why some who come to Canada want to change Canada instead of becoming a Canadian. So in other words, what is being said here is they're taking their suitcases, we could say, of their culture with them to the new culture. And you can't do that when you become a Christ follower. I have that example from my own, own personal life. I grew up in a subculture here in Canada for a season. A German subculture. I went to German school, to German church. I read the German Bible. I spoke German at home. I was in a German subculture. I was even told that in heaven we'd speak German. <laughs> See, we can't, though. That's the thing here, is we can't take that stuff with us into the new kingdom. We can't do that. Jews don't become Gentiles, and Gentiles don't stay Gentiles. But through Christ... We become part of a new kingdom. So we go back to the beginning of, of Paul's story again. Peter at Antioch. Peter comes to Antioch to visit. He engages the church, activities that are, that are there in the Gentile context. He, he's probably eating a pulled pork sandwich and, and sitting with Gentiles at the same table because there's freedom in Christ. It's a new kingdom. And he's left behind that stuff. But the Jews come. And all of a sudden, he's moving over. Peer pressure. He becomes a hypocrite. Peter knew that all foods were clean. And that in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. No male, no female. We are all equal in one. But all of a sudden, he reverted back to that Jewish culture. Paul confronts Peter with the hypocrisy. Sometimes we need to be confronted with our hypocrisy in reference to what is happening in and around us and how we're behaving. So again, I'll throw that up there. Hypocrisy is when a believer plays the part of a non-believer. It's when a Christian acts the part of a non-Christian. We can affirm something to be true and yet intentionally live in a way that covers that up and makes it look like we don't believe it to be true. Peter reverted back to the Jewish culture. Sometimes we revert back to our non-Christian culture. After all, not all things in the non-Christian culture are bad. 
There's a lot of good in the culture that we have left when we accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And sometimes we think we can take something from that culture and we can integrate it into Christianity. Syncretism is what it's referred to. But you can't do that. You're thinking now that you're making the best of Christianity. But you're not the one who makes Christianity. God has established his kingdom. God is king. You don't make the rules. You don't write the policies. You don't do any of that. You come into that kingdom through grace. Grace means that all of this is forgiven. And I enter this new kingdom with a clean slate. When you come to Christ, when you believe in him, you die to all of your past. What you consider good, what you consider not so good, and what you consider ugly. All of it. Galatians 2.19 For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. That's what the Jew was doing. Putting it all aside. Died to it. Therefore, there's now no value in picking up the law, the dietary portion of it, or any portion of it. Believing in Jesus is not a remake of some religion. It's not syncretism. Bits and pieces of our culture, over time, woven together. That's not what it is. So Paul now lays it out for us in those final verses of what we're looking at this morning. Galatians chapter 2, 20 and 21. Put it up on the screen for us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So I don't pick up any of that stuff. Because if any of that stuff I pick up and think that somehow that is going to make me acceptable to God, it's not. When I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I die to self. A beautiful picture of this is baptism. We've done many baptisms here at Westgate. We've got a new baptismal tank just underneath that lid, and I'm, I'm itching to use that new baptismal tank. And so if you're thinking, and maybe I'm going to start a spark in your mind of baptism, call the church office, talk to me, talk to Pastor Jared. Um, yeah. But what Paul is doing here is like a picture. Baptism is a picture of this. When I'm baptized, I go under the water. 
I go down under. It's like going into the grave. I die to everything. Everything. And I come alive. I come out of the water. I come alive in Christ Jesus. I become part of a brand new kingdom. There might be some similarities between this brand new kingdom and the kingdom I left. Because the kingdom I became a part of does speak of love and it does. There's a lot. There's, yeah. But I'm in a new kingdom. And now I have to learn and embrace everything in this new kingdom. I come to life. But this life that I come to now is granted to me by Christ Jesus. And in fact, if you look at it, it says, but Christ lives in me. Because I have died. Christ is now alive in me. I'm powered by Christ. We could think of the Energizer Bunny and we take out the batteries and we put Jesus in there. There's a kind of weird example. But maybe that'll help you. A new heart. The heart of Christ. The life I now live in body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you die, you leave everything behind. And when you believe in Jesus, you've died to that. Now you're a new citizen in a new kingdom and you start all over again. You're an alien, a stranger, a traveler still in this world, but you're preparing for the kingdom where you're going to. So you might be living here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, but you belong to the kingdom of God. You are to speak a Jesus view into the cultural issues of our society. You're supposed to live a Jesus view. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I told you that our culture changes, and you know that. But God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The kingdom values the kingdom principles are still the same. They don't change. So, you know, where do you stand in all of this? Simple question. I want to wind it up. We're going to be going to communion. Simple question. Where do you stand? Are you at times acting like a hypocrite? What culture or society stuff have you taken on that is in direct opposition to God? So what's happening in our culture around us? Okay? Drug use. What wasn't acceptable is acceptable today in our society, in our culture. But would that be acceptable to Jesus? Remember, your body... Well, it belongs to Jesus. It's a temple. 
How are you treating that temple? Oh, how about sex outside of traditional marriage? We go way back into the Old Testament and stuff. Jesus, there's values, there's, there's, there's principles here. But our society has shifted from those values, from those principles. How do you behave when you're outside of this context in another, and you say, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's not the best, but it's all okay. Like, what do you say? How about abortion? Euthanasia, the hot button of today. Sexual orientation. What do you believe? What culture or society stuff have you taken on that is in direct opposition to God? You know, I think that communion is a great way to reset. And that's the good thing about Jesus. As long as you walk this earth, this life, you have a chance to reset. That's grace. And so I always think communion is that great time to reset. It's a time where we stop. Scriptures tell us, 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourself. Just ask the question, what have I taken on from the world? Where do I stand on these issues? Do we stand beside the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is my foot already moving across the line? Am I a hypocrite? Do I say I believe Jesus? And yet, in public, I don't carry the values of Jesus. So let's begin. Let's bow our heads. Just for a moment, reflect. Just in the quietness, reflect. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to go to the communion stations, but but just for right now. Take a moment to reset. Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our thoughts at this moment in time. Father, reveal to us where we have crossed the line. Show us our hypocrisy. More than all of this, Lord, show us Jesus. And that we would move closer and closer to Jesus. Father, those areas where we have separated ourselves from Jesus or whatever we've done there, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. 
Father, empower us with strength to walk faithfully with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.